We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Pastor Jim. Welcome. I'm Pastor Jim. Come on in. Hey, thanks. Um, hey, I'm, there's a lot I've been enjoying about your church, and I just I wanted to ask a few questions about what your church is really all about. John, we're a family here. Our people tend to act and talk a certain way. You don't sound like you've been here very long. Our people have a certain confidence and air about them. Oh, Pastor Jim, I, I, uh, I love that your church is a family. And that's, that's what I'm looking for, is a church that's a family. But do you have to talk the same way everyone else does? I mean, isn't, isn't the church all about following Jesus? Jesus, yeah, Jesus. Uh, of course, Jesus. Jesus is very important. But personal growth and success, financial stewardship, uh, voting is very important. Voting is important. But of course, it all goes, comes back to Jesus. But do you expect all of us to, to look and act the same way? Everyone's still welcome here, right? Am, am I welcome? Oh, of course. Everyone is welcome here, John. Okay. Take me, for instance. I, I want to follow Jesus, but I have a lot of doubts and I have a lot of questions. Are people who, who doubt welcome to come and figure out what they believe here? Ah. <sighs> No. Questions and doubts just distract us from our mission. At my church, we know who we are and what we believe in. Questions just make people nervous. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Pastor Jim. I appreciate your time. No problem. All right. Let's give it up for Carl one more time. Let's go. And Grant. Also, I was somebody said I gave too much credit to Carl. We got to give some credit to Grant too. Uh, I love watching these every week, uh, especially as we round up this series. I've just been uh, excited to see. I, I was there when it was filmed, and I'm still like excited to see where it went next. Uh, and so, really glad that you're here for the wrap up of the series. If we haven't met before, my name is Colin. I'm the pastor here at Branches, and we're glad that you're here today. If we haven't met before, I would love to meet you in the lobby with a, a, a gift for first time guests. Want to welcome you here. Uh, to this community. And as part of our welcome, we want to know that you were in worship today so we can stay in uh, connection with you, let you know what's going on in the life of our community. And so if you would check in today, there should be a, a QR code going up on the screen now uh, for you to scan and let us know that you are here and we can reach out to you and get you on the email list and just kind of keep in contact during the weeks, especially in this busy season of a new year. There's a lot going on that we're excited about. So again, thank you for being here. And while the, the QR code uh, stays up there, I just kind of want to say, you know, really what was the, the point of this series? Like, why, why are we gathered together talking about red flags? And if you've been here from the beginning, you know, kind of one of the things I wanted to communicate is when we use this phrase, red flags, we're talking about dating or relationships or work 
things or whatever else, the red flags that people give off that kind of make us wary. And kind of in my estimation, my argument was that Christians and church people have some of the worst red flags. And so we talked about a few over the past four weeks, one of which last week was, you know, I think my conclusion was don't be weird. Uh, it was kind of easier said than done, right? Uh, to use specific language uh, that is exclusionary, that cuts people out, uh, isn't very warm or inviting. And so we want to be uh, all things to all people, as Paul said. And then we had a, a guest preacher in our second week. Um, and he talked about how that we have this proclivity to say like, okay, it's all about Jesus, just like in the video, but it's also about all this other stuff. We kind of heap all of this weight onto the center point of our Christian faith. And then of course, this question of, is everyone welcome? Can we really draw the circle wide and invite all people to come to the table? And so that's uh, how we now get to this fourth week where we're talking about doubts and questions. And I've talked to many of you about your own doubts or your own questions, all the things you kind of want to raise about the Christian faith or religion or spirituality or kind of the way that the world is and how we deal with it and how we live in it. And so it's really important. And I'll say one of the red flags is kind of demonstrated in the video that a lot of people experience is a, a Christian resistance to doubts and questions. And uh, maybe a discomfort as Grant kind of acted out in that video. Like, no, no, this makes people nervous. It gets us off course. We want to resist that. We want to kind of shut our eyes and close our ears and not think about those things that kind of can seep in where we start to question and doubt. Well, I have to say um, that some of the richest times of my spiritual life have been seeded in and have come out of seasons of doubt and of question. One of those seasons for me was in college, and one of my first courses I took in college, first semester, was a New Testament course. And it just like cracked open for me understanding what the New Testament was and where it came from. And I can vividly remember, I think I've shared this before, uh, people from my hometown, you know, kind of using in so many words this phrase of like, okay, well, be careful in college that they don't take your Jesus away. Uh, which is them telling on themselves, by the way, uh, which is them saying, essentially, let me translate for you, what we've taught you uh, can't withstand any amount of scrutiny. <laughs> uh, that when you go to college, if you're questioned, I mean, it's just going to all fall apart. I haven't really given you anything robust to think through. So be careful and don't question and don't doubt because it's all going to fall apart. But I found in my religious experience in college, a deepening of my faith, a deepening of my spiritual life, because I went through seasons of like wondering and kind of looking back on like, what was shared with me and told to me, is it really true? Can I rely on it? Can I trust on it? And then also kind of benefit of college. I mean, number one is I met my wife, Landon. So let's go, Landon. Uh, and then two, maybe not two, somewhere in the ranking, I don't know, friends, other stuff I learned, uh, somewhere in the list is now my deep love for commencement speeches. Um, anybody have a favorite commencement speech? Or anybody else like a big dweeb like me? Uh, that's kind of the question, really. Uh, I love the genre of a commencement speech. And I've loved the ones I've witnessed and the ones I can watch on YouTube. And there's some that are famous and others that are kind of these like big foibles and failures of people like that they invited to speak and weren't really worthwhile speakers. <laughs> uh, and I can't remember who spoke at my undergrad um, uh, commencement. I do remember my graduate school one, again, I've also shared this before, Salman Rushdie, novelist, writer, who told all of us in this moment of hope, all of your degrees are valuable, except for the theology students. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, and my older sister, her graduate school graduation, Tim Russert, uh, was the speaker. I remember that one being 
really good. And a favorite of mine is Griffin McElroy. He's uh, one of the McElroy brothers of My Brother, My Brother and Me, a podcast I really enjoy. And he spoke at his alma mater. It was really funny. He's a very funny guy, but also really deep where he shared a story about the death of his mother and this freshman year of college kind of being this time where he reflected on who am I? And who am I trying to be? And that had a really deep impact on me. And then a famous one that's not just a favorite of mine, but is a favorite of many, and it was even published into a book, is called This Is Water, uh, David Foster Wallace, who's a novelist and a writer. And it's called This Is Water because he begins with this story that there's two young fish, and they're swimming in the water, and they pass an old, seasoned, wise fish. And the wise fish says to them, hey, boys, how's the water today? And they swim past, and one turns to the other and says, what the heck is water? That <laughs> uh, you don't know when you're in it until later. This, he says it's these didactic, parabolic. He's a writer, so he uses a lot of those big words. He needs to listen to my sermon from last week, and it'll kind of bring us in a little bit better. Uh, about how uh, we have this like certainty of ourselves. And the conclusion of David Foster Wallace's commencement address is like, look, This is a proud moment for you. Like the world is ahead of you. And you didn't go to college, and he's speaking at Kenyon College, you didn't go to college to like learn all the answers, you learned how to think. And learning how to think means you should get rid of any solid certainty in your life. He even tells a story of like a a argument, a conversation between an atheist and a religious person. And the conclusion of that story is that both of them have this like dogged certainty and both of them need to give it up in order to learn something new. You learn how to think. And I think that's why I like commencement addresses so much is because it's these gateway moments and there's a specific genre of speech and of writing now tied to this moment where all these young people are are stepping through this new season of life and they have this exciting season, this exciting moment where they can can do anything that they want in the world and they can be anything they can be and they can can marry someone and they can have children and they can move to a new city. Everything is before them. It's exciting. And they get a celebrity or they get some uh, famous alumni to come and tell them that to their face. You're gonna do great, you're gonna be amazing this next phase of your life, you have this whole world ahead of you. But we know, maybe you've heard a commencement address, you're really inspired by it, that then you live your life a little bit and you're like, I can't be anything. Um, The limit to then all this stuff that I can be, it's now smaller or I can't be anyone or go anywhere or this thing has happened to me and you begin to doubt Griffin McElroy or David Foster Wallace or Salman Rushdie, who I do doubt. I think my degree is very valuable, so I'm gonna tell him. Maybe Salman Rushdie, if you're watching today, if you and Brene Brown are watching today, my degree is valuable. (laughs) We start to doubt, and it seeps into our understanding of ourselves. It seeps into what we're trying to do in the world, what we're trying to do next. But I hang on to this question, or really this kind of sentiment from David Foster Wallace that really what we're trying to do And what really what we're experiencing, even in the hard times of our life, is that we're trying to learn. And I think at this point in my life as a pastor, that's what I'm trying to do with y'all, do in this community, is to learn how to learn together, to grow how to grow together, to go deep together, to walk hand in hand and to try to confront the troubles of the world and the problems of our lives and the questions that we have together in a community and learn how to do it together. There's a lot of actually writing and speech about this in the religious life. One that comes to mind is David Bazan. 
the singer-songwriter uh, for the band Pedro the Lion, and he wrote this song called Hard to Be. And in it, he's essentially describing that he had uh, left the Christian religion and he's trying to reckon with, then how do I know how to be a good person? It's really hard to be a decent human being, he says, without me knowing, okay, somebody tell me how to be a good person. How do I learn that? And in that song, he, he says, uh, I turned the tassel to the left side of my cap, he's graduating, knowing after graduation, there would be no turning back. Even in his skepticism and his questioning, even in leaving the Christian religion, he has some certainty. I could, I could never go back. I'm gonna put my tassel over to the other side and that's gonna be it. I'm gonna walk through that gateway and all of that is gonna be behind me. Is it okay to be certain about some things? Is it okay to question? Is it okay to doubt? Is it okay to kind of wonder? And then with whom do I share it? If, if I share my doubts and my questions with somebody I go to church with or a family member or a parent who raised me in the religion or even my pastor or somebody who works at the church, what's the reaction gonna be? If I feel like I've walked through this threshold and, I, and there's no going back, who can I do that with? There's a lot of stories in the New Testament about doubt and questioning. Of course, the famous one is a man says to Jesus explicitly, I believe, to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. It kind of strikes me as like oddly modern way to think that a person could hold in tension two of these things. I believe on one hand, I, I affirm something about who I am, about who you are, about who God is, and at the same time, I don't believe. Help my unbelief that there's these two points on the spectrum and maybe the Christian life is them approaching each other to a center. I believe, help my unbelief. Or Thomas, a great story, who now forever, poor guy, he's dead so he can't defend himself, is not just Thomas, he's doubting Thomas forever <laughs> because he doubted. And he needed, even with knowing Jesus had died and seeing him in front of him later after the resurrection, I gotta know and so I need to touch your wounds and he touches Jesus' wounds and he says, my Lord and my God. He went instantly from unbelief to some sort of belief. That leads me to think that doubt or questioning isn't a threat, isn't a bad thing, isn't a thing we should ignore, isn't a thing that we should shame others for or, or tell them to squash it. Like in the bumper video today, they're like, okay, okay, like don't bring that up. It, it makes people nervous when people is me. It makes me nervous. I don't wanna hear your doubts. It's not a threat. And I was drawn to thinking about this particular question that Jesus asked in the New Testament. And so we're gonna read that today. Uh, we're in Luke 9. Uh, and Jesus uh, is praying with the disciples and they have this little kind of inner circle conversation, which happens often in the New Testament. Here's what it says. It says, once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying the son of man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. John Mark Comer, who we talk a lot about here, 
was a pastor in Portland and now he runs a nonprofit called Practicing the Way. And in this talk about uh, this dark night of his soul that he experienced, he talks about how he was driving on Burnside in Portland on the way to Old Laurelhurst Church, which is where Bridgetown, his church, used to meet. And he was running through his sermon and he can kind of feel that he was rehearsing it, but it was just up here and it wasn't anywhere in here. And he got kind of nervous. And he went and he preached his sermon and he said he kind of had this out-of-body experience where he was like watching himself preach and the content was good and he was very well prepared and everybody laughed at his jokes must be nice. And <laughs> there we go. So it's kind of meta there for you. Uh, and, and he preached the sermon and he sat down and the immediate thought he had when he hit the seat was, do I believe anything I just said? And he started to roll into this like catastrophic thinking. Well, if I don't really believe any of that, do I need to take a leave of absence? Do I need to tell my wife? Do I need to get back up and be like, excuse me, sorry, that very well may be true, but I don't believe it. And he rolled it over and over and over and over again in his mind. And this is the conclusion he came to. And I think it's so helpful and something I've been hanging on to this week as he says, I realized that the church with a capital C had no vocabulary for what I was experiencing. That we talked so much about God's presence, we had no way of talking about God's absence. And then he had the thought, he said, and then I had the thought that it wasn't just the capital C church. He said, my church has no vocabulary for what I was experiencing. And I'm the pastor of it. <laughs> that we talk all about God's presence and their pastor was experiencing God's absence. He didn't have the vocabulary for it. So as I heard him say that and I was listening to him this week, I thought, okay, let's give us the vocabulary. <laughs> If I'm gonna live out and really honestly say this is a safe place to question and doubt and be open about it and share it with me and share it with your neighbor and share it with your family and share it with people who work here, if I'm gonna really believe that to be true and I really do believe that to be true, let's give ourselves a vocabulary for people who I know in some measure may be experiencing very well this absence, this doubt, this questioning, this wondering, and I wanna give you permission to do it and I wanna give you the words to ascribe to it. First, I wanna hear this really clearly. The Western church in particular, because we're so intellectually based, we think that doubt equals disbelief. Don't think you're sub-Christian because you have doubts. You still can be and are part of God's family, even if you doubt and question it. Doubt isn't disbelief, hear that, know that. I don't think that. You, you can doubt as much as you want, and I still think and believe that you're a part of God's invitation to be part of this table and this community, that's first. Second, this kind of post-enlightenment world that we live in is doubt is kind of a virtuous thing. And I kind of halfway agree with that, like doubt and question all things that you believe. I think the Bible kind of pans this out too. Paul says, uh, test all things and hold fast to what is good. I think there's actually a way of saying like, doubt everything, and then it kind of filters, and then you're able to reconstruct what good things remain, kind of uh, filtering it through a sieve or something. Okay, so doubt your beliefs. But maybe the second thing, giving, giving uh, uh, vocabulary to this absence or this doubt that we feel is also doubt your doubts. Maybe you doubt that you're valuable. Doubt that. Maybe doubt that God loves you. Doubt that. Maybe you doubt that you should belong in a place, that you really should, you, you think you should be isolated. You, you, you doubt that you should really belong. Doubt that. Doubt your doubts. So first, doubt doesn't equal disbelief. Second, doubt your doubts. And third is this, don't do it alone. 
Again, open invitation. I have an email address. <laughs> uh, I have a mailbox if you want to do it anonymously. I'd be happy to talk to you face to face. There's any number of people I could point you to if you don't want to talk to me about it. Don't doubt alone. And that's not to say like, you're going to come to me with your doubts and I'm going to kind of convince you that you're wrong <laughs> or talk you into believing the way that I believe. But because it's so lonely and isolating, I know it is. Because I've been there. And in some ways, I'm still there. Don't do it alone. I want to end with this by saying this. The church used to be, and I think there's some value to this, the church used to be the place you went to go to find answers. I've found answers at church. I've found answers in the Bible. I've found answers in following Jesus. But I think maybe, maybe it's not just a generational thing. Maybe it's just something that we've kind of let slide. We want to follow Jesus is, okay, we find answers in the church. Can we also just be the best place to ask the best questions? We find answers, uh, Mabola prayed beautifully about finding our answer in Jesus, and I believe that. And can we also hold intention that this is the place where we ask better questions, that we put our own beliefs and our own way of being up against the scrutiny of the world, that we question ourselves, we question our motives, we question our actions, we question, we wanna make better this place that it looks more and more like Jesus in every moment. We're questioning a good questioning people. We ask better questions. There's this mystery in the Christian religion that Paul talks about. And he says, you know, uh, in my weakness, I find strength. That God's strength is demonstrated that Jesus was enthroned on a cross, was publicly humiliated, and that's God's glory on display, this humiliating thing. And it goes the same for our faith or lack thereof. That somehow, some way, we look at the saints of the past, the people with this fragile, clinging on for dear life, wondering, questioning faith, somehow have the strongest, most robust faith too. They trust even when it's really hard. They trust even if they're kind of wondering if it's worth trusting. They, they step into trusting something that was sturdy for them at one time and now it's a little bit shaky for them. On Friday, we had this concert uh, that we hosted at um, Tenfold Coffee. Again, Carl, just coming up, all, everything's coming up, Carl. Thanks to Carl for, for making that happen. We're stoked about it. And uh, Sam McCabe was the opener, um, and he sang this song. Uh, and I think the lyrics, I was listening to him singing, I was like, this is it just capturing exactly what I hope we think about on Sunday, which is that our, our weakness is our crown, he says in these lyrics. Our doubt in some ways seats us better for deeper faith. Our questioning, our wondering, our even kind of like lowly feelings then make us stronger on the other end. Soren Kierkegaard says, we have the curse of learning our life backward, but we have to live it forward. So we have to live our doubts forward and then look back at how it deepened our faith, deepened our trust, deepened our spiritual life backward. This is what Sam says. I think he says it better than me. You can't praise away the morning you gotta let it have its way. You're never gonna grow if you don't stand out in the rain. And that wound is gonna fester if you try to hide it with a smile. Your prayer might make it better, but it's gonna take a while. How are you gonna rest if you don't ever stop? What becomes your refuge is what becomes your God. You could toe the line of looking fine and you'll find yourself unknown. You gotta let your weakness show. You can't live the resurrection if you avoid the grave. A faith that don't reach down ain't a faith that can save. But there's freedom and surrender when you give up the ghost. You'll never sit at the table while you're trying to be the host. 
When you're wrestling with the angel, you better wait for the son. And if you don't walk with a limp yet, the father isn't done. There's still time till morning light for you to lay your burden down and see your weakness as your crown. And if you feel like you're weak, don't worry, God is too. His weakness is the power that he's trying to give to you. When the triumph feels like victory, but only in name, just remember that the lion is the lamb that was slain. Beauty only comes from ashes of defeat and carrying our losses, God's form in you and me. And the mountaintops are great, but the valleys are where things grow. We have to let our weakness show. Thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. God, we have feeble faith, we have difficult faith, we have doubts and questions and longings, and we don't have it all together. But we know in our weakness, in our frailty, in our wondering, and what we hope to believe and what we don't believe anymore, that you are there. Rid us of the idol of certainty and make us just desperate for more of you center our lives on your love more than anything, that we might be weak for the world, that we might share our questions and doubts boldly, that we might find answers in the questioning and the doubting, and that we might do it together. We ask all of this in your name, the God who's come to be with us in Jesus. Amen.